Welcome to the Tommy Lanham Podcast, where you will discover how to embrace your weird, organize your dreams, and ignite your enthusiasm. And now, here's Tommy. Ready? Here we go. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's what I was thinking on the day of my high school graduation. It was May 29th, 1991. I'm up before everybody else in the house, and the only other person that's up is my dad. And we're kind of chit-chatting a little bit, and all of a sudden he looks at me and he goes, Boy, I always knew my dad was serious when he called me boy. With my mom, it's like my full name, right? Thomas Lee Lanham. But my dad looked at me and he said, Boy, and I hated it when he called me boy, but it always got my attention. And then he followed it with this. I never thought I'd live to see this day. Well, that'll give you confidence, right? (laughs) But he had reason to feel that way. I struggled as a kid. I got in trouble a lot. I never did well academically. I think it started with my birth. Because you see, I was born at a young age. (laughs) But not quite as young as most. Because you see, I was due in 1971. I wasn't born until 1972. January 21st of 1972. And when my mom went into labor, it was a 36-hour ordeal, and I just wasn't coming out. So eventually they decided to come in and get me. They did a C-section. There was a whole crew of students that were watching this whole process. And when I came out, They all cheered because it had been such an ordeal and it finally was over. I was finally here. But through the ordeal, I had gotten so swollen that I had become so ugly that my parents refused to buy my baby pictures. Can you believe that? I mean, that'll live with you for life, right? Here I am, an ugly baby. A couple years later, I'm about two years old, I'm out playing in the front yard. We lived up in northern Kentucky at the time in a metropolitan area. I'm playing in the front yard. My mom's looking out the window, checking on me. We had a fenced-in yard. All of a sudden, she looked out. She couldn't find me. She came outside, and she noticed that I'd learned a new skill. How to open the gate. She came out there, she saw the gate was open. She looked down the road, couldn't find me. She looked up the road, she couldn't find me. She went in, she called the police, told them what had happened. And the police says, ma'am, I think we know where your son is. You see, I had walked 10 blocks away from our house, (laughs) over a set of railroad tracks, walked into a bar, was sitting on a stool chatting with a couple of chicks. Here I am, an ugly baby and a runaway. A few years later, I'm about five years old. We're still living up in northern Kentucky. And I hated my sister's Barbie dolls. 
because she liked playing with those Barbie dolls more than she liked playing with me. So one night, there was a bunch of people over at the house. A lot of them were smoking, so the house was already full of smoke. I grabbed one of my sister's Barbie dolls, and since several people were smoking, it was easy for a five-year-old to get access to a lighter. I went into my mom and dad's bedroom. I got that Barbie doll. I flicked that bick. What? <laughs> that day I actually lit her hair on fire. And when I did, I tossed it on my mom and dad's bed. And I walked back into the living room and sat down and continued watching Scooby-Doo. Like I said earlier, the whole house was full of smoke because there were several smokers over there. And before anybody knew it, the whole room was in flames. You see, smoking really is bad for your health. You see, here I am, an ugly baby, a runaway, an arsonist. It didn't get any better when I got older. I always struggled academically. I was never one of these people that did well in school. I struggled just to get average grades. I always enjoyed going to school. Matter of fact, I enjoyed the sixth grade so well, I took it twice. When I flunked the sixth grade, it was pointed out to me that I was the first person in my family to ever flunk a grade. Here I am, an ugly baby, a runaway, an arsonist, a flunky. When I got up into high school, I loved music, especially singing. So I got involved in the choir in high school and I loved learning new songs and singing with other people that loved to sing and putting on concerts and doing programs. I loved that. That was one of the favorite parts of my high school experience. But I remember the day that my choir teacher came to me with disappointment in her face because I was unable to participate in that weekend's concert because my grades were so low. Here I am, an ugly baby, a runaway, an arsonist, a flunky, a disappointment. When I graduated high school, I decided to go to college. <laughs> I was glutton for punishment. <laughs> People were surprised I'd even go to college because I never did well in school. But I just felt this call. It wasn't because I wanted four more years of sitting in a classroom. But I felt a call by God to go into ministry. And God, knowing, because he's all-knowing, how dumb I was, I needed an education in order to be effective in ministry. So I went to college, and I continued to struggle. Matter of fact, I'm one of these guys that squeezed a four-year degree into six. <laughs> and in the midst of my college career, at the end of a semester... I received a letter in the mail 
from Johnson Bible College. And this is what it said. You are too stupid to continue going to school here. Actually, that's not what it said. This is what it said. We would like to inform you that your grades have fallen below the required academic standards of our college, due to which we want to inform you that your current enrollment has been suspended and will be effective immediately. But what I heard is, you're too stupid to continue going to our college. Needless to say, my dad was very upset. That was his style. <laughs> when things didn't live up to his expectations, he got upset. My mom became sympathetic. And she's the one that encouraged me to go back to Johnson Bible College and plead my case that I would get my grades back up. And because of her encouragement, I went back down to the school before the next semester began. And I pled my case. And I told them, I will get my grades up. To be honest with you, I wasn't sure I would, but I wanted to give it my best shot. And because of the grace of God and Johnson Bible College, I was allowed to re-enroll. And through changing my study habits and the help of a young lady that would eventually become my wife, I was able to get my grades up enough. I was on academic probation, but I was able to get them up enough that they allowed me to remain in school until eventually I finished. As I said before, it took me six years, but I finished. I used to feel bad about that until I read one time that Soren Kierkegaard, who's considered one of the greatest theological thinkers of the past 200 years, took him 10 years to get his undergrad. So I guess I'm in good company with that. But it sure didn't feel that way at the time. And when I graduated, I graduated with a very impressive 2.3 GPA. But I finished. Now, when I flunked the sixth grade, I was the first person in my family to ever flunk a grade. When I graduated college, I was the first person in my family to ever graduate college. About a month after my graduation, I came across a tape by, the man, by a man by the name of Zig Ziglar. Perhaps you've heard of him. The name of the tape was called How to Be a Winner. I had heard of Zig Ziglar from some John Maxwell books that I had read, and he quoted Zig Ziglar some, and I liked the quotes, and so I thought I'd get this tape. It's what we listened to back then, were tapes. So I bought that tape, and I put it in my tape deck of my car, and man, I had never heard anything like this before. For the first time, I heard somebody tell me, you were born to win. And if you prepare to win and plan to win, you can legitimately expect to win. It was the first time that I heard somebody say that failure is an event. It is not a person. It is the first time that I heard somebody say that you can't go back and make a brand new beginning, but you can start now and make a brand new ending. 
and my mindset began to change. And after listening to Zig Ziglar, he would quote people and I would go, well, maybe they're worth listening to. And so I would listen to those other guys. I would listen to Jim Rohn tell me that a formal education will make you a living, but a self-education will make you a fortune. <laughs> if you just continue to grow and expand your mind, I begin to hear people like, like Dave Ramsey say, if you live like no one else, then later you can live like no one else. And I just began to feed my, my mind with all this information that all these guys were sharing with me. And eventually I got a book. And I got it because of the title, because I wasn't familiar with the, with the author. The, the author's name was Jack Lanham. No relation, because he spells his name funny. But the name of the book was called Untapped Potential. And man, I just began to read that book and I began to read these stories and I began to read these strategies and it began to change the way I saw myself. And I began to understand that I, that I did not have to settle for being an ugly baby. I did not have to settle for being a runaway or an arsonist. I did not have to settle for being a flunky or a disappointment. I did not have to settle for being stupid. Because I come to realize that here is where I am. But there is a there waiting for me. And I just got to put forth the effort to go for it. After my mindset began to change, I began to do things a little differently. In, in 2000, I started my own ministry. It's called Upside Down Ministries. Did that for eight years, and I loved it. I loved it. We went from the first year to... Realize, I also got married in the year 2000. In the year 2000, I gave up a job where they make good money. I quit a job there in order to do a ministry where I was paid purely through donations. And I did that in June of 2000, and I married my wife in July of 2000. And when I made that move, my future mother-in-law thought I was crazy. Actually, a lot of people thought I was crazy. She was the only one that voiced it. <laughs> and that first year, we had like eight events. The second year, I think we had, what, 20 events. The third year, we were up around 30 to 35 events. The last year we did Upside Down Ministries, we had 60 events that year. <laughs> A lot of it was doing church camps and doing vacation Bible schools for churches throughout Kentucky and surrounding states. It was awesome. And I think it's something I never would have stepped forward to do if I had still had that old mindset. If I had settled for here, I never would have found my there. Eventually, I joined Toastmasters, began to work on my skill of public speaking. I had so much information of so many personal development and spiritual growth books and CDs and tapes and seminars and conferences that I had gone to. And I began to kind of compile all this stuff and go, what are the golden nuggets here? What are the things that, 
everybody's got their own little spin on all of this, but what are the things that everybody's saying? And I began to narrow that down. I eventually wrote a book called Goals, Godly Objectives, Assuring Lasting Significance. And it's a 75-page it's a book that is a simple goals achievement process. It's not, I was listening to CDs and said, here's 25 steps to achieving your goals. Are you kidding me? By step seven, I'm, you know, wandering off somewhere. I'm, 25 steps? There's got to be a simpler way. And that's what I did. I looked for a simpler way. I will actually talk about that in detail later on in the organized dreaming session. But things began to change. Eventually, I began to not only speak in churches and in, with ministries, but I began to expand into other organizations as well. People began calling me, wanting to hear my story and get my insights on stuff. That never would have happened. If I had settled for here, because I never would have found the there waiting on me. And oh yeah, I decided to go back to school. Glutton for punishment, I guess. I went back to get my master's in life coaching through Liberty University. It was a three-year program. I finished it in a year and a half with a 4.0. Not bad for a sixth grade flunky. And it never would have happened if I had settled for here. Because I never would have found the there that was waiting on me. Now, I don't know what your here is. You know what your here is. And listen, here is not necessarily bad. There have been people and places and events and, and education that has gotten you from where you were to where you are now. But somehow as adults, we tend to settle for here. We get comfortable with here. We may not like the labels. We may not like our situation. We may get miserable, but we're still comfortable in our misery. Why? Because it's what we know. It's what we're used to. We have settled for here. And the whole time we have a there waiting on us. You realize at one time every one of us crawled. None of us could walk. What if we had settled for our here at that point? None of us would be walking. And it was uncomfortable. We don't remember it, but we remember our kids, don't we? We remember other people's kids. We know it must have been as uncomfortable for us as it was for them. Our poor son, he, every time he fell when he was learning how to walk, he would hit his head in the same spot. He never got bruises or cuts or anything anywhere else on his head except right there, right in the center of his forehead. And there was a knot on his head like that. He looked like a giant marble in the middle of his forehead because he always hit the same exact spot. But you know what he did? He cried a little. He needed a little pampering. But he always tried again. And you know what? Every one of us did. No matter how uncomfortable it got, we tried again. 
and we found our there. But eventually, our there becomes our what? Here. And now that you're here, what's your new there? I don't know what your here is. But I know it's probably comfortable. And I don't know what your there is. But I know it's probably at least a little bit uncomfortable to get there. But this is what I've come to understand. Our comfort zones follow us. They will follow us. At one time, every one of us were uncomfortable with walking. But now, we're all very comfortable with walking. Why? Because our comfort zones follow us. You may step out and do something that's uncomfortable, but after you do it enough times, after you've failed at it enough times and you get to where you can do it, you will become comfortable. There was a time when I was uncomfortable up in front of people talking, if you can believe that. I preached my first sermon at Locust Grove Christian Church when I was 14 years old. Monty Cooper was the minister there then. He sat down with me and he helped me. You know Monty? Monty's a great guy. Monty's also the one that baptized me. Actually, I was 15 when I did my first. I was baptized at 14. I was 15 years old. And Monty Cooper sat down with me and helped me write my first sermon. I sat down and I wrote a full 20-minute sermon. Now, it took me all of about two and a half minutes to preach it. But it was a 20-minute sermon. And man, I was scared to death. I was terrified. But I got up and I did it. Later on, we had a new minister come in by the name of Don Fee. He found out I had an interest in ministry and was considering going to Bible college. He worked with me. Oftentimes, he would let me preach, especially on Sunday nights. And the more I did it, the more comfortable I became. And I have to tell you this, other than maybe the lazy boy at home reading a book, the most comfortable place I am today is when I'm up in front of people talking. And at one time, it was extremely uncomfortable. Our comfort zones follow us. <laughs> I don't know where your here is, but you have a there waiting on you. If you look at that piece of paper there in front of you, these are, are at least three steps that we need to take in order to get from our here to our there. Now, first of all, you've got to picture it. What is your there? And I encourage you to write something down there. What is something that you have not gotten to yet? Something you haven't achieved? Something you want to do that you have not done yet? Something that you dream about? Something that stirs up some level of passion inside of you, but you haven't done it yet? What is that? You've got to picture that. You've got a picture. And that picture won't always come exactly true in the first few times you do it. You know what? I pictured doing this for a long time before I did it. That new book back there, I've been dreaming about that book for like four years. I've been picturing that book. The front of that book has changed a lot of times, but there's always been a picture of the book. I have a picture of where I want to be, what that there is. 
So here's what I want you to do. If you like to draw, draw it. If you like to explain it in words, do it. Whatever, whatever works best for you, what's that there that is waiting for you? And I want you to write it down on that paper under picture it. And the more vivid you can make it, the better. The more details you can give to it, the better. Because you don't want to just see words. You want to see pictures in your head when you picture this. Use your imagination. Most powerful nation in the world is imagination. A vision is a picture of the future that stirs up passion inside of you. And as you picture that future, as you picture that there, oftentimes negativity will try to work its way in there. Later today, we're going to talk about the mundanians. Mundanians are those people, places, things, thoughts that try to keep us from moving forward. <laughs> and those mundanians will tell us that we're not, we're not good looking enough, we're not smart enough, we're not talented enough. And I tell you what we need to do when we, when we start getting those mundanians into our head, we need to do a little butt kicking. Here's what I mean by that. Oh, I want to achieve this goal, but I can't do it because I'm not smart enough. I want to achieve this goal, but I'm not in the right place. I want to achieve this goal, but I'm not good looking enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough confidence. When that starts to seep into your head, you need to do a little butt kicking. I can't do that. I, I want to achieve this goal, but get out of here. I want to achieve this goal. I want, to, I want to accomplish this. But I'm not smart enough. Get out of here. Here's something I would like to do with my life, but I probably never will. Because I just wasn't raised up there. Get out of there. Get those thoughts out of there. It's what Daniel Aiming calls ants. Automatic negative thoughts. Now after you have pictured it, after you have pictured what your there is, then you got to work it. That's the next one. The first one is picture it. That second one is work it. you got to do it. And here's what I want you to write in that section. Write down just a few things, even if it's just one or two things, that you can start doing now to help you achieve your there. Now, you may add to this list later, more than likely you will, but this is what we've come to learn. If you're going to make a change in your life, it must be immediately and enthusiastically. We don't make changes that we're putting off until tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. We don't make changes if we're like, yeah, I guess I need to eat better. I guess I need to stop smoking. I guess I need to exercise. I guess I need to read more. You're not going to do it. Not for long term anyway. It's got to be something that you want to do immediately and enthusiastically. What are just a few actions that you could take to start moving you toward your there? Now, this is what will happen when you begin to work your plan. Here's the encouragement, okay? You will fail. You will fail. But that's okay. Because remember what we said earlier. Failure is an event. It is not a person. You may fail, but that does not make you a failure. Matter of fact, you know what the most common characteristic 
of every successful person in every area of life is failure. Failure is the most common characteristic of success, of successful people. Because we fail our way to success. Now, understand all day when I'm talking about success, I'm not just talking about financial success. Listen, if you wrote down an action plan and you do it, that's success. If you're a minister, your goal is to lead people to Jesus or to help people grow spiritually. When somebody comes to Jesus, that's success. You probably don't get a bonus for that. You don't get an extra paycheck. But money is just one of many markers of success. If you're trying to make more money, then more money is a marker of success. If that's not necessarily your goal, then the money is not a marker of success. It's whatever you're trying to achieve. If your goal, listen, if your goal is to get up in the morning and shave your face and you shave it without cutting yourself to the point of putting you, putting you in the ER, guess what? That's a success. That's a success. If your goal is to get up in the morning and, and pack boxes because you're getting ready to move, if, you get, if, if your goal is to pack boxes, you pack at least two boxes, guess what? You're successful. If your goal is to pack a box, you get one box, you're successful. Success is when you accomplish whatever it is you set out to do. But in that process, you will fail. But we got to learn to look at failure for what it is. It is an event. It is not a person. <laughs> failure is the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Because you understand, oh, that didn't work. Now that I know that doesn't work, I'm going to try something different. Thomas Edison tried over a, a thousand ways to invent the light bulb. And somebody asked him one time, says, what does it feel like to be such a great inventor and to fail a thousand times? He said, I haven't failed a thousand times. I've just found a thousand different ways it doesn't work. I'm closer now than I've ever been. That's the way successful people look at failure. People who are not successful, when they fail, they give up and they settle for here. I can't do it. I just proved I can't do it. I'm just going to settle. The difference is not the failure. The difference is the quitting. We all fail. We all fail. Both Peter and Judas failed when it came to the crucifixion of Jesus. Judas failed because he's the one that actually led him to Jesus. He betrayed Jesus. <laughs> Peter failed. What did he say? I will never deny you, Lord. I will never deny you. And what happened before the morning came, before the rooster crowed? Denied him three times. They both failed, Judas and Peter. But how did Judas handle the failure? He ended up committing suicide. How did Peter handle the failure? He ended up preaching a sermon around 50 days later that led 3,000 people to Jesus. He became a pillar in the early church. 
He's somebody that we look back on, not as somebody that's perfect, but somebody as an example. Why? They both failed. They both failed huge. But they handled it differently. One fell backwards, and Peter did what John Maxwell calls failing forward. He failed forward. We will all fail. Just make sure you fail forward instead of backward. And then the last one is live it. Live it out. Once you get to your there, live that out. Celebrate it. And you can say with confidence that I have received my there because I refused to settle for the here I used to be. It's not whether you're good looking or ugly. It's not whether you're a, a, a good kid, a good person growing up, or somebody that's made a lot of mistakes. It's not whether you're a disappointment or not. It's not whether you've flunked a grade or not. It's not whether you've been kicked out of college or not. It's whether you've got the fortitude to continue to move forward or not. Never settle for here because you have a there waiting on you. And once you get there, you can live in it. You can live in it. At one time, my here was all of those things. An ugly, runaway, arsonist, flunky, disappointment, stupid. Those were the labels that I had put on myself and others had helped put there. But guess what? The others, other people may be responsible for putting labels on you. Only I am responsible for keeping the labels on me. That's all me. That's not anybody else's fault. As long as I keep those labels on me, that's me. I've got to make a decision to pull those labels off and to not settle for my here, but to do all that I can to reach my there. If my dad were sitting here today, I would look at him and I'd say, boy, <laughs> actually I wouldn't, I would never call my dad boy. <laughs> I would look at him and I'd say, sir, you have lived to see this day. And might I add, you ain't seen nothing yet. Thank you, guys.